Is everybody good this morning? Everybody feeling good? Good? Um, how many of us are glad that school is done? Yeah? You have some people? Yeah? yeah? Glad that it's done? Um, how many of us still have two more days left? Yeah? Yeah? We, we have two more days. Oh, Quinn's not in here. Oh, okay. Quinn has two more days. He has an exam tomorrow, you know, because the government has to know how he's progressed. So we, we comply to that. So, you know, if they ever need to seek him out for his intelligence, they'll be able to do it. Yeah. That's not a joke on him. I'm making fun of the government. Not, not my son. My son is intelligent. Um, he, he just acts dumb sometimes. But, he, <laughs> but he's, he's extremely intelligent. Don't, don't let him fool you. Yeah. Um, if he gives you that look, he's just not going to tell you what he's really thinking. That's what that's, he gets that from his mama, not from me. So anyway, yeah, yeah. And Nicole would be fine with that if she was in here. We're, we've been married 23 years. She knows me, so she's good. She doesn't get embarrassed much anymore. And I do have the ability to embarrass my wife. I do have that ability, but she kind of took care of that about the second year of marriage. It's kind of all the fun went out the window, so it was, it was over. Yeah, good, good helpmate. I really needed to change. This has nothing to do with this sermon. I'm just trying to give a little opening here. I really needed to change. I was, I was rude and didn't know it. I was just having a good time with life, you know, telling waitresses that there was problems with the water, and yeah, you don't want to know all that. Okay, so... To the message, we are in a series called Elisha, it's right in front of you, it's right in front of you, and we are going to start this morning in 2 Kings chapter 6, so if you're turning your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, and if I can have my Act 1 people come on up on stage, that would be great, so if you're involved in Act 1, come on, come on up, and um, I think this mic is still on, yes it is. You're act one, okay? So here we go. <laughs> it's it's lovely. Yeah. All right, First Kings chapter six, beginning with verse eight. This is what God's word says. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying. At such and such place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware that you, you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord. <laughs> o king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him. It was told him. Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city in scene. Very good. Good job. Yeah. 
so this is a very interesting story. And to be honest with you, at first when I was developing the series, I was just going to skip over it, but I just kept coming back to it because the story itself is just absolutely incredible. It, it's an incredible, incredible story. Um, here, is, here is a king, right, the king of Syria, and he's raiding the land of Israel, and, and it's constant raids back and forth for some, for some reason. He's decided to do this. And what, what's been happening is Elisha from the Lord has been receiving all the king's troop movements into the land. So Elisha will tell the king, king of Israel, what's happening, and he will move his troops and do what he needs to do to counteract whatever movement the king of Syria is doing. So the king of Syria is perplexed, and the first thing that you would think, because this is how it would work back in those days, is that somebody within his royal court was a spy. Because some of the things that he was telling them, um, there's no way anybody would have known it unless they were in that particular inner circle. So, so he's, he's really upset about this. And in... Um, what is it? Second Kings chapter 6, verse 11, it says this, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled. That greatly troubled is actually the Hebrew word sawar. So say that to your neighbor, sawar. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Hebrew is awesome to, to say from time to time, sawar. And what that word means is a storm or a raging storm. So in the mind of this king was a raging storm. He was ticked. He was ticked, he was angry, because someone was telling the king of Israel what he was going to do, and at every movement, he was flanked. And he was so frustrated and so angry that in his mind, he just became very, 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 very Angry, angry, very angry. Now, there are two types of anger. Two types of anger. One is an anger that uses force and a voice, right? Force and a voice. They get in your face, they get up tight, they get very angry, they get, you know, all that kind of stuff. This is the woman, this is the man. Woman, man, right? Right? What? A man, right? That, that's what it is. You know, kind of deal. And they're really, really loud. So it's really flamboyant and in your face. But there's a second type of anger. An anger that is, is very quiet. So this type of anger is when you're kind of suppressing that angry feeling inside of you and you can feel the storm raging in your mind, right? But you want to keep your cool because you know if you keep your cool that you can really get underneath somebody's skin in the room. Oh, come on. Right? So you're kind of just quiet. You kind of look at them and you might smile. And you might say, whatever. But inside it's like, <laughs> but you're just like, whatever. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get them to react to your calmness so that you can have something to throw in their face a little bit later in a very calm way. Well, you know, I'm not the one that yelled. Oh, no, 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 ladies and gentlemen. You know that within your heart and within your soul, 
you were just as mad as they were. You were just uh, calm and being very manipulative because anger is all about control. So the person that is loud is trying to get control of their home, of their job, of their circumstance. They're trying to do it, and they're trying to do it with force. And the one over here that's trying to do get control is just trying to make sure that you know that they're in control, though they're raging mad on the inside. Both are equally as damaging. Both are equally as damaging. If you're quiet, can't wait. Or if that one is really um, loud. Um, I'll tell you that two people that are masters at both of these is me and Nicole. And we don't use the same strategy all the time. One of us might be raging mad and we're ready to wring the other one's neck and the other one will be just, just calm. And I'll tell you this, my wife is really good at the calm one. But I'll tell you this too, I'm better than I think I am at the calm one. Because I know exactly the buttons to push with her in a very nice and gentle, calm fashion. Well, honey, you know you didn't you lay it out. I mean, that's on you, honey. And she's like, oh, right? And she, she knows how to do it to me too. Well, you, you know, Philip, you're, you're just all the time, you know, very frustrated and And she's very calm, cool, and collective. But on the inside, you know, she's just trying to get up underneath your skin. Are you you tracking with me? Are you tracking? Both are equally as dangerous. And I'll, I'll just put this on the table. Every time that I have been mad at my wife and angry, I have been wrong. And every time that she has been angry at me, she has been wrong. And if we're gonna live in a, in a, um, In a culture of equality, if you're having an angry argument in your home and anger is getting to you, you're both at fault. You're both at fault. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're yelling, if you're using the silent angry for it, you're both at fault. And that pill is hard to swallow, especially when you want control, right? So here is this king, and he has this silent anger because in scripture it says in his mind right he was raging but he was being kingly right and he was being quiet and he was asking okay who is it who is it because as soon as i get a name and i need to be kind of quiet and i need to be kind of gentle while i'm trying to do this probe to figure out who it is is everybody tracking with me As soon as I figure out that it's Bob, I'm pouncing on him. And as soon as he found out that it was Elisha in this little city called Dothan, what did he do? He decided to send an army to Dothan. Now, just pause a moment, and I want you to think about this. He is sending an army, chariots, big army, that whole deal, to Dothan, to seize a man who knows his every movement. Right? So here's the point. When you are angry, you do not think rationally. Nobody does. And here's this guy, he's sending an army to get Elisha, and Elisha knows he's coming. 
God's been telling him, and he thinks he's going to surprise him. He's not going to surprise him. So he sends this, this major army into Israel to Dothan to get him. Listen, never, ever, ever make a decision when you're angry. Never make a decision when you're angry. It will be the stupidest decision that you've ever made. You'll look back on it and you'll regret it. It doesn't matter if you're the calm, cool, and collective, you know, anger person, or if you're the one that's really going at it, or if you think that you have, quote, unquote, righteous anger, because the Bible says, be angry and sin not. That's, look, there's not many people that can do that. There's not many people that can do that. And if you can do it, it's at very rare, 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 rare times in your life. Do not make a major decision when you are angry. And here is this king that has made a major decision of war for his country to go into Israel and surround this little city called Dothan. And that is where we're at as we go to Act 2. So if Act 2 will come up, that would be great. By the way, I just want to let everybody know... Um, this whole, this whole uh, thing today, there's no women involved, so I just wanted to throw that out. You know, you feel like you should throw a little bit up here or something just to make it kind of equal, but couldn't do that. The text went, oh, come on, that's funny. Okay, here we go. You know we're safe here. We're, it's, uh, it's all good. Okay, no women involved in this story. Okay. Maybe that's why people are angry. I don't know. Okay, here we go. Act two. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In scene. Good job. Good job. Yeah. All right. So Act 2 has this little servant. He comes out, and the little town of Dothan is surrounded by a huge, not a small one, a huge army. There's chariots army, the whole deal, and it looks like a hopeless situation. Dothan was a very tiny city that was um, 11 miles north of a town called Samaria, because Samaria was where uh, Israel had their, their capital, because there's, there's a division. Anyway, you don't want to know that, but that's where they had their capital. And so this little town of Dothan, the servant walks out, and he sees a major, major problem. And so he goes right to Elijah, and he says, what shall we do? Now, the sense of this from the original is not, all right, <sighs> Elijah, what shall we do? You're a man of God. I know there's some miracle coming up here. Let's just figure out what that is. Let's get rid of this army. Let's go. All right, what shall we do? Like an excitement. You know what I mean? Like sometimes when you have something come up, you're like, all right, this is the issue. This is what we're going to do. Let's defeat it. Let's go after it. Let's get it. And we're all excited. This is not what this guy's doing. This guy's like, Elisha, there, 
there's an army. We, we are surrounded. They are going to take us over. Their chariots alone can knock down the walls of Dothan. They're going to come in and slaughter everybody and take you and me. I don't know what they're going to do. They could kill us, take us, I don't know, but they are going to win. We are doomed. We are doomed. We are doomed. What are we going to do? And Elisha said, don't be afraid. Because this guy was afraid. Have you ever known anybody that all they see is the problems? All they see is the problems. And sometimes they have problems that enter into their life and that problem is right in front of them and they feel like they're surrounded. Their little city is surrounded. Their little house is surrounded. Their, their little life, I'm not belittling them, I'm just saying it's little. Little life around them is just surrounded by this problem. And this problem is just right in front of them and all they can see is the problem. And so what happens is if, if someone stays in that state where they can only see the problem, they will actually create problems for tomorrow because all they can see is problems. They can't see solutions. They can't see that there's something else going on in the world except for their problem. And so they react in fear. They react with that problem and they, and they go after that problem. And so day after day, they enter into to moments where they have created more and more problems because all they can see is problems. Therefore, their vision of their life is one big problem, is woe is me, and they step 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 and they just create a bunch of problems. So I'm not, I'm not saying that the initial problem was necessarily their fault, but their reaction to it was one where this problem is bigger than me. This problem is bigger than my circumstance. This problem is bigger than what I can handle. There is absolutely no way out of this. And that is the vision that they take into their next day. And they live according to the, that vision. I don't know if you know this or not, and I think you do because I've said it before. You are created in the image of God. You are, okay? Our God is amazingly creative, isn't he? If you just take just a moment, just think about that. Amazingly creative. I have a bird's nest just right outside of my house in a, in a um, dogwood tree. I have. Notice it's possessive because it's on my property. I had nothing to do with building it. In fact, this, these two little birds uh, came and they built this nest without opposable thumbs. They built this nest with just their beaks. I don't know if they use their little, I don't, I don't know what they do. They land and they do like this and then they, they move on. I have trouble putting lattice up around my deck and it's just a couple of screws and the lattice, right? Here's this bird that's building this nest, and they, in, they built it in a tree, and we've had a couple of storms, a lot of wind and stuff, and that twig, beak-built home still stands against the course of time. Is that not amazing to you? 
And, and somewhere God, in, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, decided to make a small little bird that could build a nest so that it could raise its young and be safe in a storm and do it all with a beak and a couple of twigs. It, it's crazy how, how creative God is. You are created in the image of God. That means everybody in this room is creative. Everyone in this room is creative. You have the ability to create your next moment, your next hour, what it's going to be, your next day, and your future. You have the ability to do that because God has given you that ability. And based on how you see life and how you see problems and how you see issues, based on how you do that and how you create that vision, dictates what you will create on the following days and the rest of your life. You have the ability to create your future. Now, there are some things that happen that are just going to happen to you that are out of your control, right? There's some bad things that come up that you didn't necessarily want to happen. Sure, the creativity comes in in, in how you respond to that particular situation. That's where the creativity comes in. So here is a guy that all he sees is, is an army and doom, and Elisha prays that his eyes be open so that he can see the army around them that is greater than the army that has surrounded the city. And so the servant's eyes was open, and he saw that there was more going on in this world than just little Dothan being surrounded by an army. In other words, Elisha, who's a man of God, and his servant, who is a man of God, was not in a hopeless situation because there was something bigger going on. Here's the point. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're a child of his, there is no situation of yours where you are outnumbered. Okay? There's no situation where you are outnumbered. You are never outnumbered as a child of God. Never outnumbered. It might look like you're outnumbered. It might look like doom and gloom. It might look like that this is a problem that is bigger than you are. But you are never outnumbered. You are never on the losing side. You are never on a path to where tomorrow can't be greater than today because you are not outnumbered. You're not outnumbered. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not, you're not outnumbered. There's several reasons why you're not outnumbered. Number one, it's called the body of Christ. You're just not outnumbered. You have brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we're acting as a family, we are for each other. We're just for each other. Second reason, there is an invisible world happening around us, even in this room. And those that you cannot see is more than the number of the people in this room. God never allows his people to be outnumbered in any situation. 
Regardless if it continues to go south, regardless if it continues to go north, you are never outnumbered. It is not hopeless. It is not hopeless. We struggle because we see a broken world at every turn, at every turn. We turn this way, this is happening over here. We turn this way, this is happening over here. We turn this way, this is happening over here. And it's constant brokenness in this world. But God... Jesus Christ has said, I have overcome the world. That means even if it was just him on your side, you are still not outnumbered and there is hope. There is hope. My prayer for you today is is if all you can see is your problem and that's all you can see in front of you, is that God will open your eyes and let you see that you are not outnumbered and there is hope. There is a way, there is a God that loves you. There is an end to all this brokenness here on the earth. You are not defeated. You're just not defeated. You're not defeated. Do not let Satan make you believe that you're a loser because you're not. Just not. So here's this guy, just needs his eyes open. He just needs to see the heavenly realms. He just needs to know he's not outnumbered. And I think there are people in this room that need to know that this morning as well. Amen? You're not outnumbered. Okay. Now, Act 3. Act 3. Come on up. Here we go. Ready? Verse 18 says this. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Wow. You shall not strike them down. (laughs) (laughs) Would Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. NC. Good job, guys. And Todd was going for the Academy Award. There. Um, I want to point out that the caudals in the back of the room, they have gray hair in the back. They kind of hide back there. 
um, they celebrated their 50th anniversary in May. Yeah. I am, I am assuming, I've, I've talked to them a couple of times, but not in depth, but I am assuming that um, when they were first married, you didn't expect what marriage really was, right? You really didn't expect it. It's totally different, but God kept you together and your love kept you together. Um, it's an ama- that's an amazing couple back there. Um, 50 years is absolutely amazing. I was recently at a, a funeral uh, this week, actually, and um, the husband, God, I don't know why they do this to me, but the, the husband gets up and speaks about his wife, right? And, and you're like already crying because he's up there. And um, he, he told this story, and he said that he had gotten home from work one day, and he was in a, like a grungy clothes, like he worked outside, and it was dirt and sweat and all that kind of stuff, just didn't look that good. And his wife was dressed up really well, and there was a, a guy, a relative or something that had stayed with them for a little while, and they had to take him to the airport so that he could fly back, I think, to Ohio. So... They, it was back when you could walk all the way to the gate. Some of you remember that. Some of you don't. You could walk all the way to the gate. So he, he walked all the way to the gate with his wife. Now, keep in mind, he's not dressed up, and they are, okay? And he said there was a lot of people in the terminal, right? So he got down on one knee, grabbed his wife's hand, and said, Honey, please don't go. Please take me back. I'll quit drinking, I'll live correctly. And he went in this whole little spill, right, right? And she grabbed him and said, get up, right? And so they went, they went out of the, uh, the airport, and he said, look, I'm, I'm sorry I embarrassed you. She said, you didn't embarrass me, but everybody in that airport now thinks you won. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What a great story. Now, Here's a situation where there is a, a large army that is somehow blinded, and we don't really know exactly what this means, but this is what we do know. Whatever the blindness was, they were able to follow Elisha all the way to Samaria. I don't know what they were seeing. I don't know if they were blinded to who he was. I don't know what was happening with that. The scripture is kind of quiet on that, and I... I've tried to imagine it, but I don't know how this worked, but it absolutely worked. And he led that whole army, the chariots, the big army, the whole deal, into the middle of Samaria, right? And Samaria is the capital city, and that army is now inside in the middle. And if you would picture it, now the um, Israeli army is surrounding that army. So they are trapped. The enemy is trapped. Yes, yes. And to that I say, yes, right? You got the enemy in your sights. You can take them out. They're going to die. It's going to be over. The raids are going to be over. We will get back at them. Oh, my goodness, we've got them. And so the king says, my father, and I can't even do it like you, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Because he is excited because he's about to have victory over a huge army because it's been basically delivered into his hand by God. Because in his mind, in his mind, if you are warring with someone, if you have an altercation with someone, the thing to do is to take them out. 
right? Take them out. And it feels good when you do. I know you are shocked that I said that. But it's so gratifying when you can take somebody out. And I know we're not supposed to be vengeful because that's a sin. But sometimes revenge feels really good and sometimes it doesn't. But you really like it when it really feels good. You really like it when you've stomped your enemy into the ground. You really like that play. Let me kill them. Let me wipe out their army. Let's weaken them to no end. And Elisha said, you shall not strike them down. So, okay, I'm not supposed to strike them down. What am I supposed to do? Well, there's a couple of cattle, Elisha. This is Philip Brand's paraphrase. You got some food around here. Why don't you get all your people to, to make them a meal, and we'll set that meal out in front of them, and then we'll just send them on their way. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that for me, Elisha? Can see, we don't see this in Scripture, but you know he's human. He's like, could you just repeat that for me a minute? Could you just say that again? And Elijah says, you're not going to strike them down. You need to just put food in front of them. So I don't know what type of conversation they had, but it was probably a little conversation for a little bit. And the king said, okay, we'll, put, we'll do what Elisha says. We, we will put food down in front of them and drink. And so the enemy that was trapped that they could have killed, they laid a meal in front of them. They ate until they were full. They drank until they were full. And then he sent them back on their way. And Syria never invaded Israel again. So what is the point to this? You know the enemy that you have that you keep fighting with? don't like them, so you keep fighting with them over and over and over again. They do something to you, you do something to them. They do something to you, you do something to them. That you, come on, y'all. I know y'all have relationships like this. They do something or had or whatever. They do something to you, you do something to them, and it's always, <clears throat> right? Man, woman, right? And it happens, and you go back and forth, and each thing that happens gets worse, Right? You started here and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Maybe it's time to do a different strategy. Maybe it's time to love your enemies. Maybe it's time to feed your enemies and send them on their way. Somebody might have to quit fighting for the fight to stop. Do you know that war has never brought in true peace? Never has. Do you know when you win an argument with your spouse, you don't really have peace? Do you know the only way that true peace really occurs in this life is, is if someone actually takes the step to love that other person and love their enemies and serve their enemies, and lay that food down before them, and treat the person that they're in conflict with, with love. That is the only way that 
peace happens. It's through love. You don't get anywhere by attack. You don't get anywhere by striking out. You don't get anywhere. You don't get anywhere. But if you love, if you love, that makes an impression on people. Right? Here's this. Here's this strategy God gives them that kind of blows your mind. Love them, give them food, send them home. Maybe it's time for you to love your enemy, give them food, and send them home. I want you to notice that they didn't invite them back to celebrate this moment the next year. Right? They're in this boundary, right? They go, they stay in their country, you stay in yours, but you've treated them with love. Maybe the thing that your marriage really needs is for somebody to quit fighting and love. Maybe the thing that your relationship needs that continues to battle against each other is love. Maybe the thing that you have against your neighbor is really just You stop fighting with them, and you love them. You love them. It's absolutely amazing what happens when you just decide to treat people like Jesus told you to treat people. You love your enemy. You don't have to be buddy-buddy with them, but you do have to love them. You do have to love them. Um, I used to tell my kids a story. Now I can't get through the whole thing, but um, there was a man that, that owned a dead horse. Man, yeah. There's a man that owned a dead horse, and and a guy came out, and every day he sat on that dead horse and hit it on the back and tried to get it to go and hit it on the back, and it would never move. So what he did was he bought another dead horse and he brought that dead horse in and he, he put it side by side and he latched it together and he put a wagon on it and then he started trying to get those dead horses to move and the dead horses would not move. So he got another dead horse and, and hooked up. Now he has four dead horses and he's trying to go because he thinks if he has four, four dead horses, maybe they will move and maybe he will get somewhere. And so he continues this process and continues this process. And the moral of the story is quit riding a dead horse. Right? Quit riding a dead horse. If your words of fight and anger are not winning the day, it's time to quit riding the dead horse. Come on. It's time to do something different. And that difference is a four-letter word called love. Love. Love is what brings peace. Love is what brings restitution. Love wins every time. Every time. Is the world still going to be broken once you love somebody? Yeah. Were the Syrians still their enemy? Yes. But did they never come back because of that moment of love? Yes. Because love changes the hardest of hearts. The hardest of hearts. Let's pray.